welcome back to the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. And we are on YouTube for the very first time. By the time you're listening to this, this video might not be on YouTube, but this will be the first YouTube video on there. So, Give a round of applause to me, I guess, Miller Thomas, because we have finally made it. Somehow I've been doing this podcast for like two years now, and it is crazy that I'm still doing this, talking D-backs, covering the team. I'm having the time of my life. So thank you to everyone who's been following along with me on this jersey. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, almost got caught up there. Uh, I guess I was getting sad, getting choked up. But thank you to everyone who's been following along with me on this jersey. I am Miller Thomas, host of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. In case you don't already know, on today's pod, we're discussing a bunch of different interesting topics in, in terms of in my opinion, we are discussing the end of season awards for the Diamondbacks. Last week, we did end of season awards for the entire MLB. Well, today, we're just talking Diamondbacks. We're doing the best defensive player from the D-backs this season, most improved player from the D-backs. And then I want to end the pod by talking some MLB postseason, some interesting stories and narratives that came out of today's games and yesterday's games. So I want to talk about that here on today's pod. But first, don't forget, this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Go visit rockauto.com because they have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. So visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. And also, I have to tell you guys, thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. This podcast is not possible without you, so please continue to like, subscribe, download, do all that jazz that you guys are great at doing. Now, let's jump right into the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast, making their video debut. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As promised, Miller Thomas here of Locked on Diamondbacks, and it is time for the end of season awards, Diamondbacks edition. Woo! Let's give a round of applause. We made it toward the end of the season. It is postseason time now, and it is time to talk some D-backs, give out some awards, because unfortunately, the D-backs are not here in the postseason, but it's okay. We got a whole bunch of former D-backs in the postseason, and we still got a bunch of rooting interests. Personally, I'm rooting for the Red Sox. And I'm also rooting for the Giants like a lot of you guys are because we all want to see the Dodgers, the arch nemesis of pretty much everyone in the National League go down. We're tired of their reign of dominance over this National League over the last, what, decade now? So let's go Giants. Let's go Red Sox to win those series. But today... I want to first start with this first segment and do best defensive player on the D-backs because I really had two really strong options here. I had the technically I still I believe a rookie Dalton Varsho. He was one of my candidates. And then the next candidate I had was Carson Kelly. And these were two these were my two main candidates for this award. 
You could have thrown a Nick Ahmed in here. He probably gets an honorable mention. But I think these were the two best defensive players. And I think the award has to go to Adulton Varsho. Now, let me first tell you why Carson Kelly was in consideration and why it was not as tough as it might seem to give the award to Dalton Varsho. Because Carson Kelly had a really strong defensive season among catchers this year. He had really improved his skills behind the plate this year. He only had five errors and 651 chances. So Carson Kelly looked like a a legit catcher. There was some questions about Carson Kelly uh, earlier in his career, just about what what, what's the ceiling level for him as a defensive catcher? Can he at least be average? And I think this past season, we can say he was above average. He had a nine, 99.2 fielding percentage because of those five errors and 651 chances. That's 99.2% fielding percentage. And he caught 23% of the attempted base dealers against Carson Kelly. So a quarter of the time, Carson Kelly is just gunning down dudes, gunning down dudes who are trying to steal on him. And if you're... Throwing out guys at a quarter of the time, if that's your your, your caught stealing rate, that's pretty impressive. That, that that will be one of the league leaders most seasons. So I'll take the 23% attempted base stealers getting thrown out by Carson Kelly. That's very good. And he only allowed eight pass balls the entire season. So Carson Kelly had some really strong numbers as a defensive catcher, was probably top 10 in a lot of defensive statistics. But overall... I still think when you look at the entire body of work from a defensive campaign, I think you have to give it to Dalton Varsha. Offense might be a different story because it was a tale of two halves for Dalton Varsha, but defense, he was pretty consistent the whole year. And by the end of the year, Dalton Varsha was by far the best defensive outfielder on the D-backs, which might be kind of tough to think about because he was a guy who was a catcher in the minor leagues and now he's by far the best defensive outfielder we have well according to fan graphs they have this stat called literally defense and it's the combination of two very important factors when it comes to defensive performance value relative to your positional average so how many runs are you giving up or saving on average compared to other players at your position then how tough is your position to play defensively compared to other positions across the sport so shortstop is harder to play than left field and Dalton Varsho might be four runs better at saving runs than the next outfielder behind him so defense this stat takes both of those into consideration how good are you against the rest of your players at your position how good of you how good are you at defense against other players at tougher positions so according to this defense stat which combines d uh which combines drs and uzr which we'll be talking about later it says dalton varsho racked up a 4.8 defensive score that was third on the diamondbacks Who was number one? Nick Ahmed at 5.5, which is not very surprising. Nick Ahmed has been one of the best defensive players on the D-backs for a while now. And Carson Kelly was second. That's why Carson Kelly is in this conversation. He had a 5.2 defensive score. Anything above four is considered above average. All three of those guys was above four. Dalton Varsho, of course, did it, though, across four different positions. Right field, left field, center field, and catcher. His catching metrics, I don't think you guys want to look at that, but Defensively, as an outfielder, Dalton Varsho is dominant. Defensive run save tells you how many runs better or worse the player has been relative to the average player at his position. And Dalton Varsho, on average, saved five runs a game, or I guess five runs over the course of a full season. And that was one of the best on the team as well. 
Oh, excuse me. Dalton Varsho's DSS was actually four, not five. I made a mistake. I looked at the wrong note. But Dalton Varsho's DRS was four in the outfield, which was tied for the team lead with both Walker and Ahmed. So basically, we're looking at two de- defensive categories already. And Dalton Varsho was third in one of them and second in the other. And if you look at UZR, which is the other half of that defensive stat, ultimate zone rating, this is another stat that's very popular, maybe the most popular defensive stat to use. And all these stats are really hard to quantify and even explain what they do. But just know these stats are just basically measuring how good you are at your position versus other players at your position. Dalton Varsho's UZR was a 5.1, which was double the next leader on the D-backs, which was Christian Walker at 2.3. So Varsho, defensive score was top three. His DRS was number two on the team. And then his UZR was number one on the team, which doubled Christian Walker. And if you just want to look at outfield, just outfield stats on this team, they have this stat on fan graphs called arm, which is the amount of runs above average. An outfielder saves with their arm by preventing runners from advancing. Well, Dalton Varsho's arm was a 4.5. Next closest D-backs outfielder was a Josh Reddick at a 1.3, at a 1.3, who was basically average at best defensively for this D-backs team. Dalton Varsho is basically three times better than the next uh, defensive outfielder. He was basically as good as any position on the D-backs when it came to defensive metrics. That's what that defensive stat, the literal stat that says defense, that measures how good you are at your position and cross positions and Dalton Varsha was third in that any stat that tells you just his own position how good he is versus other players at his own position specifically outfield he's destroying in that so according to the defensive metrics Dalton Varsho is the runaway defensive player of the year for the Arizona Dimebacks and I can't really disagree now we'll talk about who has been the most improved player for the Arizona Dimebacks. But first, this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts your car will need. Wind or often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have everything you can need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find a solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we send you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the pod. But before we do that, once again, thanks for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen to every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Now, that's enough with the compliments. Let's get back into the pod and let's discuss the most improved player for the Dimebacks during the 2020 season. And of course, this, again, it's a tough one to decide because... A most improved player on a 100-loss team is always tough to find, especially when none of your players can even hit 15 home runs. None of them can crack 100 RBIs, 100 runs scored, 300 average. All the traditional stats that tell you how good of a player is, 
the D-backs weren't able to come close to pretty much any of those stats, but still, this is most improved. So how better, how much better, how much did these, some of these players improve from 2020 to 2021? Again, it was only a 60-game sample size in 2020, but some of those 60-game sample sizes for a few of these players was pretty much disgusting, pretty much for this whole D-backs team. Remember last year, at the end of last season, we were like, i just throw this year away. Eduardo Escobar was one of the worst players in the league last year. Absolutely no power. Had a big bounce-back season this year. Still doesn't really hit for average or get on base a ton, but he's never really been that guy. And the power was back for Fogo this year, which is really important, which was the key to making Fogo the kind of player he is. And it's really sad that he's not on the D-backs anymore. But, of course, I think we're also all rooting for the Brewers just because of Fogo. Ketel Marte was terrible in 2020 season, along with a whole bunch of other players. But when I look at that 2020 season to the 2021 season, yes, you could put a Ketel Marte on there just because of how dominant he was when he was healthy this year. But we already knew Ketel Marte had that in his back. We watched him during 2019 when he was top four in MVP voting, when he had 30-plus home runs. We already know Ketel Marte had that kind of talent. But these two players, I think they deserve to be in this conversation for most improved because one of them we – Kind of thought had a really good ceiling, really good potential, but we didn't see it enough and had a really bad 2020. And the other guy I'm going to talk about, just really, we hadn't seen him much prior to 2020. We saw him some in 2020 where he was terrible, and then he was basically an everyday player in 2021 and improved greatly. And those two players are Josh Rojas and Carson Kelly. Of course, Carson Kelly's the first one because in 2019, Carson Kelly looked solid. He showed a lot of signs, a lot of flashes of being Really uh, a potential all-star maybe in the future, but 2020, like so many of these Arizona Dimebacks, he just completely fell off the map. He just didn't look the same last season, and it was really disheartening. John Boss, back in 2020, after seeing him, after seeing him all twenty, being the fourth guy acquired Zach Greinke deal, I didn't of much. I didn't think much of Josh Rojas when acquired in that deal because he was like the twenty second best prospect in the Astros organization. I didn't think that would really amount to anything. And then when I watched him in twenty twenty, let's let's be fair, Josh Rojas was pretty bad in twenty twenty. I really thought Josh Rojas might not be an everyday major leaguer. I'm not sure if he should even be a triple A or after the way he played last season. But I was completely wrong about Josh Rojas and now he's one of my favorite players so when I look at these two guys who should be the most improved player in 2021 I think it has to be Josh Rojas. but once again let me first make the case for Carson Kelly who once again will be finishing runner-up in this award sorry Carson Kelly you're already 0 for 2 on awards on this award show but I have to give it to Josh Rojas I believe but let me first talk about Carson Kelly who had a really nice season overall, but I think one of the big reasons why I can't give him most improved player just because he was elite in the first half of the season. But in the second half, he was not very good at all. In the first half, he batted 260, 845 OPS, eight home runs. If he just continued his first half into the second half, he would have won this award going home. It would have been an easy award for Carson Kelly, but that didn't happen. He had an injury and it really seemed to slow him down because in that second half, Carson Kelly had a 221 average. He only hit five home runs and his OPS dropped all the way to 660. Carson Kelly just did not, not look like the same guy in the second half of the season as he did in the first. Still, I think he deserves to be in kind of in concern and be as an honorable man. 
looking for most improved player because this is someone who really struggled with contact, played discipline, power. He had a ton of great ground balls in 2020, but he really improved in that area in 2021. Really in punching. 2020, 40.9% of the time, he hit a ground ball. It seemed like every time Carson contact, it would be right to the second baseman or maybe to the shortstop, maybe a double play. It just didn't work out for Carson in 2020. But in 2021, that ground ball fell all the way to 31.9%. That borderline nonsense drop is a huge difference in baseball. It leads to more line drives. It leads to a better batting average, which is why Carson Kelly's batting average went from a 221 to a 240. And it wasn't that. You could also attribute to his OBP as on base percentage, which went from a 264 to a 343. If you're getting more hits, best believe your OBP going to go well. And if you're also hitting more on average, pitchers are going to pitch to you differently. That's what it seemed to happen to Carson Kelly. He sees his OPA all rows for 649-754. He had absolutely no power. He, not, he was respectable in both those areas in 2021. I think the power department, I think Carson Kelly is a power bat, especially considering he's a catcher. Carson Kelly is a 15 to 25 potentially home run kind of guy. It just depends if he can stay healthy. Can he be consistent over the full year? I don't think he has to do what he did a guy bat around to around 34% of the time. OPS around 800. I think Carson Kelly to I think Carson Kelly can do that. His OPS plus in 2020 was 73. In 2021, it was 104. So across the board, his offense got better in 2021. Of course, defensively, we believe Carson Kelly got better as well. But I have to give most improved player to Josh Rojas because this guy was so tough to watch last year in 2020. This guy, seriously, I wasn't sure if this should be a major leaguer. I wasn't sure if Josh Rojas had any future with the D-backs. But boy, was I wrong. Last season, he hit 180, 257 OBP, 437 slugging, 22 OPS plus. He only had two RBIs in 17 games. And again, we won't even look at the RBIs because that was a small sample size. But 2021, over the course of a full season, that batting average raised from 180 to 264, 341 OBP, a 411 uh, 411. Uh, slugging 752 OPS 103 OPS plus he had 32 doubles 11 home runs 44 ribbies nine stolen bases and led the team in double stolen bases and walks a very good second season from Josh Rojas I still don't think Josh Rojas probably has an elite level ceiling I don't see future all-star in Josh Rojas's career but could he be an everyday major leaguer? I think he can. Maybe he needs to increase that power department to around 18 home runs, get up to 15 stolen bases. But he was solid defensively, about average defensively. But I do love his swagger. I think he really did a good job of increasing his play discipline. The walks was a big part of the game that he didn't have last year. So he just didn't strike out a ton in 2021, which was really huge for this team. And I like Josh Rojas. I want to see if he can take another leap in 2022. He could still, I don't think this was the breakout season for Josh Rojas. I think he could still have a little bit more in the tank, a little bit more of a breakout to his season. But even with that being said, I don't think he's a future all-star, at least not a perennial all-star. Maybe he makes an all-star game or two. I don't think he's a perennial all-star, but I do think he can be an everyday major leaguer for a borderline playoff team or even a solid playoff team because it's not like every person on a playoff roster is a hall of famer so i definitely think josh rojas can contribute to a world series winning team and be a very good starter on that team as well 
Now, we'll discuss some playoff storylines and narratives that I've been following along so far that I want to give you my thoughts on. But first, we're back and better than ever, and all eyes are on the gridiron. The teams are back to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With the new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the pod and let's discuss the MLB playoffs because there's two topics that I want to hit. And the first one, this one, this one brings a smile to my face because I love the drama surrounding the Astros. I love everyone getting mad. And this is the time for people to get mad because the Astros crushed the White Sox in the first two games. The same couldn't be said in the third game. The Astros got crushed in the third game, but still, that didn't stop White Sox reliever Ryan Tapera from accusing the Astros of sign stealing after, in a game they won, I mind you. The White Sox destroyed the Astros in game three. Tapera still wanted to come out after and accuse them of sign stealing. Dusty Baker, he's not too happy. He doesn't like the accusations. And right now, I just need to tell everyone, Lay off the Astros. That happened, what, two or three seasons ago at this point, the 2019 World Series. I don't think they're cheating anymore. Of course, I don't know. I don't have inside knowledge. But I think you can't let the Astros get in your head. If you're the White Sox, you can't have the idea that the Astros are sign-stealing in the back of your head. Because at that point, you're giving the Astros advantage. You're living, as the old cliche is, you're letting the Astros live in your head rent-free. And you can't let that happen. That's a advantage that you can't see that's a non-tangible advantage that you're giving to the Astro they are now winning the mental game and you're also might be stoking a little fire to the Astros already growing chip on their shoulders we already know the Astros feel like they are hated on against the world and they usually are and so the fact that they already feel that way and then in a postseason series that you're already down two to one you're gonna try to make them even more mad Stop it, White Sox. I don't want to see you guys go home again. Again, I'm rooting for the Astros in this series, but I wish you guys weren't facing the Astros because I really like the White Sox. They were my dark horse team in 2020 to potentially go to the World Series and win it. They were, again, my dark horse team in the AL to do it once again. But I think drawing the Astros was a bad matchup. I mean, their offense is phenomenal. Maybe they're stealing signs, but if you look at the seasons from their players, from Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez, Altuve, 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 Kyle Tucker, they had great offensive performances across the board. So it's not surprising to see that continues in the postseason. This is kind of what the Astros do. They crush pitching regular season, postseason. It doesn't matter. The Astros have won the best offenses in baseball. And for the White Sox, I think they just put up or shut up time. Like, I don't want to hear you talking or complaining about the Astros. If you find them sign stealing, then yes, you can whistleblow that and snitch all you want. I don't care. But just to come out and randomly speculate, hey, we got crushed. 
six to four. I think the Astros are cheating, blah, 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 yada, yada. Stop that mess. If you know they're cheating, then you can go out and say, but until then, until you get some information, until you, until you get some evidence, just shut up, White Sox, go out there and play the game and let the best man win. Now, the second thing I want to talk about ties into the universal DH, which I like to bring up on this podcast because I absolutely hate that we don't have the universal DH. I'm hoping it comes back after the next round of CBA because watching the Braves Brewers game today is the reason why we need the universal DH. Freddie Peralta was dealing in today's game. He's been dealing all season. This is the third starter for the Brewers, and he might finish top five in Cy Young voting. That's how deep and dominant the Brewers rotation has been. And he's the third starter finishing fifth in Cy Young voting because the two of the top four guys ahead of him are going to be the two guys ahead of him in the rotation. That's how stacked the Brewers rotation is. And Freddie Peralta, great season. Great game today, but he had to be taken out, I believe, in the fourth inning today after 50-something pitches because you know why? There was men on the bases. Freddie Peralta was coming up to the plate, and the Brewers' offense has been struggling this postseason, so the manager, Craig Council, had to decide, do I want to keep my Cy Young pitcher in the game, or do I want to go with my backup first baseman? And guess what? Craig Council had to go with his backup first baseman because the Brewers needed the offense the offense didn't come through in that spot. In the next inning, I believe the Braves go up like 3 nothing. where Peralta out the game. And it's just, that's how the Brewers lost today's game because they had to take out a Cy Young candidate and leverage that in order to potentially put more runs on the board and it didn't work out for them. Yes, there is strategy in that. I won't argue that there's strategy in deciding whether I should keep Peralta in the game or go with some backup bench bat, but that's not a strategy I want to see employed in games or deployed in games, whatever the word is. I would rather see the Braves have to figure out how do I get around a Cy Young pitcher when he's on the mound and then see how they would get around that position player that's coming up to bat with the runners on. That's not Freddie Peralta. The position player coming up that wasn't pinch hitting that day. That was already starting that day. I want to see Freddie Peralta pitch deep into that game and the Braves to go against a position player that was already starting that game and not someone that would just pinch hitting for the pitcher. I think it's dumb. Uh, an elite level player like Freddie Peralta wasn't even able to go past five innings because he needed to be taken out for some offense that didn't even happen. I think it's dumb that baseball doesn't have the universal DH. And if you think baseball shouldn't have a universal DH because you like keeping the two leagues separate, whatever that logic is, like whatever logic you can force yourself to believe, because what other sport has two conferences played by two separate rules? We have the AFC and NFC in football. They play by the same rules. We have the Western and Eastern Conference in the NBA. They play by the same rules. Why do we have two different rules for baseball that dramatically affect how a baseball game is played? It makes absolutely no sense, and we need to bring the Universal DH back after the next round of CBA negotiations. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. Thanks for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen to every day. Now, make your second listen, Locked On MLB, Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully, brings you his unique perspective on the major leagues, both present and past. It's free and available on all platforms. And don't forget to come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. We'll be continuing the end of season MLB awards. Who was the rookie of the year for the D-backs as a position player and pitcher? I'll tell you tomorrow. Deuces!